hear the words of this prophecy and hear the things that are written in it for the time is near. We want to be blessed. We want to lean in. We want to listen and we must respond to these words because you want to be blessed. And the reason for all of this is because the time is near. Remember, I, I won't I will say it again and again. I hopefully I'll never stop saying it. But the church of Jesus Christ is never as faithful and as fervent and as fruitful as when she lives with a with at least one eye on eternity anticipating the Lord's return living like the time is near when she doesn't when we when we neglect or forfeit or ignore that we we quickly become carnal self-centered uh and ineffective not to mention immoral and idolatrous that 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 just, I'll just throw some more words out there. But that's what happens. Remember, as we're going through the book of Revelation, it's, it's my hope that we are, we are attempting to do this in real time with John. We're trying to walk through what he's experiencing as he's experiencing, and it, we are trying to use the same frame of reference that he would have had. We're, we're using the Old Testament and the words of Jesus to interpret what he was saying like his audience would have. And... We interpret what we see as we see it. And that's kind of important because every once in a while I get a question from somebody else that will say, they'll have, a, they'll have a but what about? And I'll just, my answer is, if we haven't seen it in the text yet, then, I'm, then, I'm, then we don't know. But we'll wait and see what else the text says because there is more to come, isn't there? So we're just taking it as we go. In Revelation chapter 6, we saw that the lamb who was worshipped along with the one on the throne begins to open this scroll. Jesus, the Lamb of God, begins to open this magnificently important scroll. And as he does, then the first four of those, there are four horse and horsemen that are released upon the earth that, that we understood from the scriptures that these are spirits who are authorized to stir up man's own sin against him and to experience the consequences of man's sin. And we saw that these spirits are aggression, Violence, lack, and death. Those are those things were, are, were loosed upon the earth. They are under restraint. And remember, their mission is to incite man to repent, to abandon sin, and turn toward the unrestrained grace of Jesus Christ. Amen would have gone good there. And after these four seals are released, there's a, of course, there's a, there's a fifth seal that where there's a quick glimpse of the saints in heaven. And then the sixth seal is broken, and we saw that that releases cataclysms and cosmic heaving and, brace yourselves, the wrath of the Lamb. Last week, chapter 7, we look at these first four verses. Let me just read them in case you weren't here. I don't want to leave you lost here. After this, I saw, John says, after this, or metatauta, these are... He, he introduces a, a separation of visions. I saw a different vision. He said, after this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. What, 
what this is is a flashback or a close-up of the saints of God before and during the activity of these four horsemen. We saw last week, number one, when this happened. Everybody say, when did it happen? When it happened was before the seals were broken. What happened were that the, that the saints of God, the, the bond servants of God were sealed. They were marked. The Lord declared, those are mine. The, and the sealed belonged to the Lord. And we saw last week that not only do they belong to the Lord, they behave like they belong. They are promised and they are protected. And this happens to the, the who this happens to, the Bible says, is the bond servants of the Lord. This is a massive symbolic number of the redeemed it is a perfect number it is a complete number it is supposed to be understood that way and furthermore if they these are organized like an army this is the church militant say it like you believe it the church militant this was them and this is you this is us that was then and this is now you are sealed you belong you behave like you do you are promised you are protected. You will persevere. You are his forever. There was a good job. Now, that's as short as I can summarize from last week. You should have said something nice, like, good job, Dav. All right. Let's, so let's pick it up. Let's pick it up right at verse 9. Thank you. Let's pick it up right at verse 9. The second part, let me just tell you ahead of time, the second part of chapter 7 is the church triumphant. The first part was the church militant. This is the church triumphant. Verse 9, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. Okay, this begins with the phrase metatauta again, which means John is seeing, uh, he's standing in the sea and there's another wave that's coming. This is another vision that he is seeing. And now he sees a vast multitude, but not on the earth. Now he looks again and he sees this multitude before the throne of God. They are a vast, hear, hear the words, they are a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, and people, and tongue. We have already heard those words. We have already heard about these people in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, when the, when the, the, the elders and the angels, the heavenly beings, sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased or have purchased. This is something that, was, that has happened that makes the lamb worthy. What he's already done is purchased them. So they're purchased before the seals are broken. For you, for you were slain, you have purchased for God with your blood men from, listen, every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So in reference to the same multitude, now, now John sees that multitude around the throne this vast multitude is the redeemed everybody say that's the redeemed all right so here's a question why are they clothed in white and carrying palm branches 
How many of you would just be honest enough to say, you know, that kind of sounds like a cult? You know, where they're red and doing hats and stuff. Why are they wearing white and carrying palm branches? What's going on up there? This is the appearance of triumph. Oh, okay. Well, you don't know that. I'm going to tell you. Everybody say triumph. You're about to, you're about to believe it now. I'm going to tell you now. Here's the thing. We've seen or heard about these white robes already in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. John says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar souls of those who were slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony that they had maintained. They had maintained the testimony. They had been faithful to the testimony of the Lord. They had overcome. They were triumphant. Are you chilly? Boy, that was, I knew that. That's why I gave you my coat. <laughs> because, because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, a reward, a recognition for what they'd overcome. This robe of white was a reward and a recognition that they had overcome They had triumphed. They had maintained the testimony of the Lord. But why palm branches? What's the the deal with palm branches? Okay, Uh, The the first mention of palm branches is actually prescribed in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 40. This is where Moses is, is giving instructions to the people about their festivals and their celebrations throughout the year. And in 2340, Moses says, Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the, the, the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches. Come on, everybody, just say it out loud. Palm branches. Palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and the willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice. Before the Lord your God for seven days. So the first, the image of the waving palm branches is the expression of joy. And it was prescribed, this is for those seven days, it was something that they were to do during what was called the Feast of Booths. So during this Feast of Booths, they would celebrate before the Lord, and they would specifically wave different kinds of foliage, but the the, the, the most iconic was the palm branch. Okay? So the palm branch is an expression of, of yay God and rejoicing, right? So, so that, and, and, and the Lord, and John says, I saw these people in these white robes with palm branches around the throne of God. So, so far, the reader goes, aha, they must be happy. Aha, they are rejoicing. Aha, they're giving thanks. Hmm, I, but what else? 190 years before Palm Sunday. Remember Palm Sunday? Right? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Okay. Uh, 190 years before Palm Sunday. When Antiochus of Epiphanes, a Seleucid Hellenist ruler, was trying to oppress and control the people of Israel, He set up an altar to Zeus in the temple. He declared himself a god and began to sacrifice swines in the temple. 
He also, he also unleashed a, a torrent of oppression that is so, so bad, I honestly would not repeat the things that he did in this room to the people. And the Has, there was some, a group of Hasmonean, fam, a Hasmonean family that were, their name sounded like hammer in Aramaic, so they were called the, the Maccabees. And the Maccabee family said, no way, not on our watch. And their, and, their, and their zeal for the law, their zeal for the word of God and for the ways of God. See, Antichius, because they wouldn't, the Jews wouldn't submit to what he was doing, he attacked them, but he decided to even attack them on the Sabbath so they wouldn't fight back. And finally, the Maccabees said, that's all we can stands, we can't stands no more. And they whooped the Seleucids. They whooped them. And then, then they retook the temple, which had been totally desecrated. They cleansed it, and they rededicated it. And, they, and then they celebrated in the temple. They celebrated the Feast of Booths, parenthetically. A side note. The tradition says they didn't have enough of the sacred oil that hadn't been profaned. They only had enough sacred oil for the lamps for a day, but the lamps burned for eight days, and so now we have Hanukkah. That's where Hanukkah comes from. Okay, so they celebrate the feast of they celebrate the feast of booze. To what were they celebrating? The fact that they had reclaimed and rededicated the temple. They had the temple back, and they, and they drove out the bad guys. And what do you suppose they did? They waved palm branches. So for so for a for 190 years before Palm Sunday, palm branches were iconic for victory. Palm branches meant we win. So now, you got to rethink what you see happening on Palm Sunday. What were those people really doing? Waving at Jesus coming in. And that also makes me rethink when I tell Mrs. Dav to dial it down on all the palms and stuff on Palm Sunday. I'm not going to tell her that anymore. Get your palms on. Get your tree on. Get your, bring them. Everybody bring them. Bring, your, bring the palms. Don't wear tiki torches on the, but, but bring the palms. Bring the branches. Tree it up. So this vast multitude around the throne are wearing white robes and carrying palm branches. They are rejoicing. They are celebrating. John sees that. His audience sees that and thinks those people are celebrating victory. That's the church triumphant. And in verse 10, they cry out with a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. This comes from Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing upon your people. They are celebrating God's salvation. They are celebrating his deliverance. They are recognizing that salvation belongs to God and comes from him. They are recognizing that salvation is his idea. Salvation belongs to you. Not our idea. We didn't even ask for it. In other words, they are celebrating, Lord, you started this and you finished it. 
they are recognizing that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. That his work will continue until you are clothed in white, wearing palm branches around, wearing palm branches, carrying palm branches around the throne of God. What the Lamb started, he will finish. He has sealed you and will own you and will help you persevere and he will protect you and he will see you all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. This was a message for John's audience and for us. But for John's audience, they needed to hear that not only were they sealed, not only were they, they were picked out before and, and marked for God, but that they had, a, they had a destiny that awaited them before the throne of God. And you need to know that too. And verse 11 says, all the angels were standing around the throne and around and and." Pardon me, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And here we go. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Verse 12 saying, Amen. Why were they saying Amen? Because everybody else just said, Salvation belongs to our God. So they heard that and they said, Take two. They heard salvation belongs to our God, and they said, that's what they said, amen. And then they said, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and and power and might be unto our God forever and ever, amen. The angels and heavenly beings express agreement with the saints, and then they join and offer what was recognized as a sevenfold doxology of praise. The fact that they offer seven, seven expressions means this is a, this is, John sees this as a perfect and complete expression of praise. Here's the thing about Revelation, as, we'll, as we've seen so far, that it seems like this. No matter what happens, everyone always ends up back here on their face before the throne. No matter how cool things happen, no matter horses and this and lights and lasers and cool stuff, everybody eventually just ends up on their face before God. That tells you where all this is going. Verse 13 says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Okay, I'll tell you. That's a Hebrew idiomatic phrase. In other words, John never said anything, so what did he mean by answered? It's a phrase that means he's instigating a conversation. You see it throughout the, the Hebrew uh, texts, and it's one of the ways that we can tell when, an original, when a document was originally written in Hebrew or in Aramaic or something else is whether it has these kinds of idiomatic expressions, and this is one of them. That's just for free. Uh, so one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, Who are they? Where do they come from? Now, this kind of a rhetorical question was practiced by Jewish sages as they instructed their students. The question that the student cannot know the answer to is supposed to provoke curiosity and signal something important. So he turns to John and says, who are these people? 
The answer is important, and it's important not just to John and not just to the elder asking the question, because if it were just important to them, that would just be data. That would just be information. But this book is not about information. It's about transformation. This is a book. The answer is important to all of us. We need to hear what the answer is. It's not just trivia. Verse 14, John says, I said to him, my Lord, you know. You gotta, you gotta, you, when you read that, you've got to read it with the right inflection. Don't say, my Lord, you know. He's like, uh, you're the one who knows. I don't know. You know. It's an act of deference and respect. Lord, you, you tell me. And the elder said to me, these are the ones who have come. Pardon me. I've got to say that right. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Don't miss the, the, the irony of this, that these robes are washed in blood but come out white. Don't miss that. People, I, it's, it, it, over, the, over the years, people who have wanted to make Christianity more palatable and more cool have discouraged leaders from, from talking about blood. Well, here's the deal. I understand that, and it's not, it's not, it's a holy thing, and it's the, 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 the Hollywood's made it horrible, but in the Bible, it's important. Because he says his, you've, they've washed their robes in the blood, and they've come out white. These are those, he said, these are those who have trusted in the, the Lamb whose lives then have been washed by his blood. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are, are, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. These were washed and... And these are... Coming out of great tribulation. If your Bible doesn't say are coming out, that's because it doesn't recognize the present participle in the Greek. But it is. These are right now, as we... John was saying, as we speak, these are coming out. (laughs) I gotta gotta, gotta get through it. Out of the great tribulation. Time out. I know you're all waiting for it. Here it is. You say, Dab, yeah? What tribulation? Bum, bum, bum. I've read all my paperbacks, this book, Dav. I've read everything about Left Behind, and I'm ready to know. What tribulation? Well... John is probably reaching back to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Daniel says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? I'll tell you in a minute. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands as the guard over the sons of your people, will arise. At what time? Hmm, Interesting. And there will be a time of great distress, same word as? 
tribulation, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time, and at the time of your people. Everyone who is found, what in the beans? Listen to this in Daniel. Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. What's rescued mean? Saved, delivered, will be rescued. Verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground, what? Will awake to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. First of all, did you hear that? Again, that Michael, who's the, who watches over the sons of your people. Who are the ones that were sealed again? The, the sons of Israel were sealed years ago. It may be Michael that we read about who holds that big old signet ring. That's just free. Write that down in something and sell it on eBay. Okay? Yeah. You start your own conference. Okay. Uh, YouTube. Here, but here, Daniel was told that there would come a time of distress, which is what tribulation means. And then he says this. You've got to listen. And, then, and he said, followed. That time of distress will be followed by final and everlasting judgment. Now, this is also spoken of by Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. We read Mark two weeks ago, but here's Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. He said, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. Sound familiar? Yeah. He is quoting Daniel. And these then around the throne, John the elder said that these around the throne are coming out of this tribulation. Again, the present particle, these are coming now and they keep coming up out of this. Everybody say this tribulation. In the, in, again, if you're, if you're looking at your Greek Bible, which I don't know how many of you are, you, it, it'll say something like in, in Revelation, it says, the tribulation, the great. There are two definite articles saying this, there's a, that there's, there's a specific tribulation. There's one. There's just the one, the one it's a big one. So in Revelation, so far, I, this is going to be fun. You're going to just be mad at me or something. Just enjoy it. Here it comes. So in Revelation, so far, smile, we don't have pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. We have the trib. That's my mom. There is no junior varsity trib. Well, there's more. When does this tribulation happen? Let's go back to the book, the, the old one, the one we've had for a while, not the one we bought. Okay, the Bible. Okay, when, we go, when does the tribulation happen? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, listen, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through the prophet, through the prophet Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then, verse 21, then there will be a great tribulation. Jesus is quoting Daniel's prophecy, again, actually about Antiochus Epiphanes prior to the Maccabean Revolt. Some 190 years before, he installs himself as God, sets up an altar to Zeus, sacrifices swine in the temple, does the horrible things. He oppresses, he slaughters the Jews in a way that defies what it means to be a human being. It's absolutely unreal. Even the phrase when Jesus said nursing mother should be, you know, you want to be a nursing mother. There's a reason for that. And what they did to babies who had been circumcised, it's 
horrible. But using that reference, Jesus is likely saying, hey, guys, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember? And, and, and the writers of the gospel are saying, let the, reader under, let the reader understand. I don't want to, this is the mic. Okay? Jesus is also likely forecasting that the next sacrilege that will occur in 70 AD when the Romans come and desecrate and tear down and burn the temple and yet another round of inhuman travesty is loosed. So in historical terms, you say, when is the, when is the tribulation? In, in historical terms, the tribulation has started. In the book of Revelation, or in revelatory terms, it happened when the four seals are opened. It happens after the death and resurrection of Christ, after the lion has overcome and the lamb has been slain, chapter 5. And John said, brace yourselves, my dear friends, John said it was happening as he wrote the book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, look at it again. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. In the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance. Those three things we talked about as we introduced the book, those are the, three, those are the dimensions that we live in right now. We live in tribulation, which is hardship and oppression. We also live in the midst of kingdom. Kingdom advance, confronting suffering, bringing his kingdom to bear. We don't bow down. We don't hide. We don't duck. Come, you know, let the, let, if the storm's coming, come and do your worst, for we will do ours. Right? And there's a, they're, they're in the midst of the storm, in the midst of great tribulation, we are still ambassadors and agents of a kingdom. And between tribulation and kingdom, we walk in perseverance. But tribulation had already begun. John 1, 9, right there, already begun. And there's a definite article there, if you need it, in the tribulation. It lasts, how long does this thing last? It lasts until the sixth seal is broken. Let me remind you again, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun, the sun became black as sackcloth and made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. They didn't talk to God, they talked to the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? That's, that's the sixth seal. Their day has come. Listen for the similarities. And again, what Jesus says concerning the sixth seal there, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, which we just read. He said, but, listen to this. See if you can catch the timing here. How soon? But immediately after the tribulation, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. Hey, that sounds familiar. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. 
and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. The sixth seal and Jesus' words here, Jesus' return, conclude this tribulation. Let me say this again. The tribulation was happening. The tribulation is happening, and it has been, and it will continue. Consider, friends, that the the elder said to John that this massive multitude, this uncountable multitude around the throne is coming out. This countless multitude is coming during this season of tribulation. If that's true, then the tribulation must be a seriously long time. Can't be a few days. My dear friends, let me say this as I as I this as sweetly and seriously as I can. If you think tribulation has not started, then you do not know enough history. Or you live in a temporary isolated version of history. Tribulation is cyclical. And it is intensifying at different times and places. It happens during the age of the church. It is, it, is, it, is, it is represented so far by these four horsemen. It begins after Christ's resurrection and it will continue and likely increase until, until Christ returns. What does that mean? What does that mean to you and me right now in this moment? You better listen, because here's what it means. It means this is happening now. For John's audience, that meant that those who had died for their testimony of Jesus had been clothed in white, and they were standing even right then in victory around the throne of God. Think about it. For John's audience, who who were mourning the loss of faithful men and women of God, John says, oh, I, I see them. They've come out of great tribulation." They're clothed in white. They're they're waving palm branches. They are celebrating in triumph before the throne. And for you and me, it it means that we too may join them there. Because we too are the sealed bondservants of the Lord. This gives us a sense of hope and and a sense of great focus. That we are sealed, that we belong, and that we should behave like we do. We are promised, we are protected, and we will persevere. It also means, if we can stand back to kind of a broad theological moment, it means that God is not merely transcendent. He is not distant. He is not uninvolved. He has not turned his back on creation. He hasn't gone on a long vacation and is coming back later. But he is imminent. He is still. You know what Revelation tells me? He is still Emmanuel. He is still guiding. He is still governing. He is still protecting. He is still persevering. He is still promising. He is still recording, and he is still rewarding. And most importantly, it means this. Jesus Christ is coming. It means Jesus is coming, and he's coming at any time. No, I know you think, well, I know it has to be this, it has to be this. No, the book says... He can come anytime. 
Don't, don't procrastinate. Don't say, I know this. I know that. Something else has got to happen first. We got plenty of time. No, you don't know that. What we know is one thing. The tribulation has started. The only thing. And he will come with great power and he will come with glory and the sound of a great trumpet and he will gather up the elect. People shy away from a fervent embrace of this message because they don't want to get reckless. Listen, if you're believing that Jesus Christ is actually coming when his, and his reward with him, which is how the book ends, then it, it doesn't lead us to a, a reckless life. It makes us live a radical life. If I believe he's coming, but I'm not sure when, that I am faithful and I am fervent today. I maximize, I invest, I live a radical, Jesus-serving, Jesus-loving life today. And this is the prescription against uh, boredom and despair and carnality. That's how you avoid all of that stuff. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. Believing this will keep us faithful and fervent and fruitful. Regardless if there are bombs or there are blessings, Jesus is coming. Regardless if there is tranquility or tribulation around you, Jesus is coming. Whether you live in peace or you're under persecution, you never know. Our friends in Pemba, in Mozambique, living under glory, living under revival, seeing breakthrough, seeing wonderful things, seeing wonderful things, and in a moment the place turns and they're under the harshest of persecution overnight, inexplicably. That's because Jesus is coming. Be faithful, be fervent, be ready. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And further, let's wrap this up. Every believer who comes out of tribulation finds triumph in the presence of the Lord. It's good enough to say it again, isn't it? Every believer who comes out of tribulation finds triumph in the presence of the Lord. Verse 15, for this reason, because they've been washed in the blood and they kept their testimony, for this reason, they are now before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. Now, it's, it's a little bit of a quiet nuance here, but it's possible that what we're seeing in this paragraph is a now and also later. Because the verb tenses are present and then future. Don't, don't read too much into it. It's, just more, it's, it's not necessarily looking like a comma in history, but like something that, that is now and will increase or continue forever. Listen, they are, bef- they are before, they serve him day and night, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle, his presence over them, and they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the church triumphant. This is the great hope of the sealed. They and we 
Regardless of whether we die here or Christ comes for us, we will be in his presence. We will hunger no more. We will thirst no more. We will not experience harsh elements, nor oppression, nor lack. All suffering will cease. The Lamb himself will be our shepherd. He will guide us to the springs of the water of life. Here John is alluding to Isaiah 49. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching of the sun strike them down. For he has compassion on them and will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. The last sentence of this, ver- of this chapter may be the most meaningful to you and to me and to all who read this book. Hear me carefully. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every regret. Every hurt. Every loss. Every pain, there will be complete healing. No fear, no shame, no darkness. Gone. There will only be the entering into the boundless and eternal joy of the Lord and the eternal embrace of the Lord Jesus himself. This is the church triumphant. This was their hope and their comfort, and this is ours. Let me ask you to stand. If you go to the last slide, maybe you can read it along with me. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever Amen. Let's give him praise. I know that during our time in worship and prayer this morning, that that prophetically the voice of the Spirit is present, was present to to affirm to you the goodness of God, the hope that we have in Christ, healing, the confrontation of suffering, redemption, all of those things. Let let this passage in Revelation confirm the relevancy and the reality of all those things. Why do we preach healing? Why do we talk about the compassion of Jesus Christ and hope and, bend, and, 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 and the binding up of the brokenhearted and, and, the, and the supply of grace and mercy to help you today because we are, living, we are living with the view of eternity and we understand that that's our destiny and we expect that, the, the power of that world to break into ours now. With our heads bowed across this room one more time. passage I didn't make time for today is but I'll say it now is this. John says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes but seven times in the, in the New Testament a contrast is presented. Seven times the gospel writers say that the 
the alternative to that moment, Jesus says, is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In contrast to the hopelessness of an eternity separated from God is the hope and the bliss of an eternity with Him. The choice is yours. Are you here this morning with your heads bowed across this room? Are you here this morning? Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you confessed Him as Lord? Have you allowed Him in a spiritual way literally to seal your life as belonging to Him? Your head's bowed across this room right now. Is there anybody here this morning, you have not confessed Christ to the Lord, but you want to surrender to Jesus. You want to ask Jesus Christ to come and be the Lord of your life. You have not, but you want to today. Would you right now lift your hand right where you are? Lift it right now. We want to pray for you before we go. We want to give you opportunity to confess Christ. We want to give anybody in this room an opportunity to confess. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just begin to quietly right now intercede. Think about those that the Lord puts on your heart that you want to that you want to be with you around the throne. You see them? You feel them? You hear them? You see their faces? You hear their names? All right, begin to pray for them, will you? Go.